It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, everybody? Thanks for hopping back in on another episode of Crunch Time Plays. Whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, just want to welcome you. Have a another tremendous guest today. She's doing some awesome work with CBS Sports, and she's a a fellow University of South Carolina alum, which I personally am extremely happy about to to get her on today. And that's Kayla Pace. And Kayla, how are you? And thanks for coming on today. I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. And I know we've you just got your your COVID vaccine, so hopefully you don't get any side effects from that. And and everything's starting to to round the turn with the pandemic here. Yeah, of course. I scheduled to come on with you and then immediately get a last second COVID vaccine appointment. So shout out to you for uh, pushing it back so I could do that. Appreciate uh, it. Oh, no, that's not, not a problem at all. Just, just thankful to have you. And I want to start with you by talking about the Mets and they're up there in New York and Jacob, Jacob DeGrom. I want to start with him because I saw a stat the other day. I, I think you might have retweeted it or, or, or quoted it or something like that, but he, he's, he pitches so well, but has so many no decisions. Is he? He's not a guy that that lacks confidence or anything like that. But is that is that sort of you know disheartening for a pitcher to pitch that well, only give up one or two runs a game, and not get the run support and and get a lot of no decisions in those games? See, it has to be because with the Mets, I mean, it's not like they don't have guys that can hit. They have plenty of guys that can hit, and that's what the that's what the frustration comes down to, I think. And obviously, I don't know how Degrom feels, but I imagine it can't be good. And uh, but as a Mets fan, when you watch these games, and you're like, it's like a running joke among the fans, like, oh well, it's Degrom night, so no one's going to hit anything, and that always ends up being the case. And then, like in their opener the other day against the Phillies, I mean, Degrom himself had two hits, and nobody else did. Like I think there was one other hit when Degrom was in the game, and of course they end up losing, and it's just. It's so unfair. I mean, they have a they have like a losing record with Degrom on the mound, and that should not be the case. There's no reason that that should be the case. No, and and what what are your early impressions of the Mets? They've they've started off started off rather well, and what what are your early impressions of of how that lineup and that pitching rotation is going to form, and and what do you expect from them going forward here in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, so I think the theme of the last couple seasons has been pitchers staying healthy and showing up in big moments. And that's what the Mets always struggle with. And right now, I mean, they're already kind of on the bad side of pitchers staying healthy. I mean, Syndergaard's not out there yet. Um, and Seth Lugo, like their main closer, is not out there yet. Um, so both recovering from surgeries. So if they can get back in there. And then, of course, Carlos Carrasco, who they traded for in the offseason, uh, part of the Lindor deal. Um he's not playing yet either. So if those guys can get healthy and get in the rotation, that'll be a huge key. And then of course, showing up in big moments. And it always comes down to the last two weeks of September for the Mets where they're playing for a wild card spot and lose some games that they shouldn't. And um, I mean, their team is, if you look at the roster, it looks stacked and it looks like there's no reason why they shouldn't be a playoff team. And then every year there's some kind of slump or some kind of like ridiculous turn of events that puts them out. And um, it's always a shame. I don't know what team you're a fan of. Braves? Are you a Braves guy? Yeah, I'm, I'm in South Carolina. So I've always been, always yeah, been, a, big, always been a big Braves fan. So. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and like I have a couple friends obviously having gone to South Carolina and I interned in Atlanta one summer who are Braves guys. 
And I always say to them, you know, like they like to make fun of the Mets. And I'm like, oh, the Braves will just choke one week later. That's fine. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully it just comes down to this year in September, they're they're showing up when they need to or that they don't have a slump midseason that forces them to have to win every game in September. Um, and I think that there's always like the talent capability is, of course, there. It's a matter of like, do we have our heads on straight? And like, are they going to go into this season with like that? tough mentality that they need to push all the way through to the end because there's always like streaks of like two or three weeks of the season at a time where you're like oh the Mets could win it all this year and then it ends up being like oh no just kidding they're not even going to make a wild card spot (laughs) well you you mentioned the Braves and they've they hadn't gotten off to the best start I know yesterday they were they were one of two teams in Major League Baseball without a win and they come out of the day with two wins of the the doubleheader uh, sweep there of the Nationals. But to kind of taking a, a drive around the, the National League East, I know some places like Atlanta and, and Miami will have to take a plane for with you being there in New York. But what are, what have been your early impressions of, of the Phillies, Marlins, Braves, and Nationals, and, and how the Mets stack up uh, in that, re- in that um, you know, division here this year? Yeah, I think a lot of the preseason um... – like predictions had the Braves and the Mets as like either winning the division or securing the wild card spot. And like the two, those are the two that would come out of um, that division. And to be honest, like I know people like it's a pretty competitive division and there's a lot of stars I think that are playing within and um, like even just playing the Phillies this week, like, I mean, the Mets went one and two against them. Like it wasn't anything to write home about for the Mets and like, uh, and that batting order for Philly is like so underrated. I think like the Hoskins Harper Rail Mudo like section of the order is just ridiculous. I mean, who, how is anyone supposed to pitch through that? So I think that um, they are definitely a team to like watch out for because when the Mets and even sometimes the Braves can be a little bit inconsistent, like that's a team that could sneak right in and easily take at least a wild card. So um, it's going to get, it's going to get harder and harder. And then of course with, you know, Juan Soto and like Scherzer on the nationals, like you have stars over there too. Like they can get hot as well. Um, And I don't want to count out the Marlins. My dad always says, this is like his thing about the Marlins. He's like, every time the Mets play the Marlins, some guy I've never heard of has the game of his life. And like, so like that's kind of what I'm always like waiting on when we play the Marlins because it's like everyone in the division is like oh the Marlins like we could sweep this that's fine but it's never actually the case so um, I think it's going to be a tight race and I think you're going to have teams that are extremely prepared for a playoff scenario coming out of the NL East. Hey I mean I'm definitely with you on that about the game of their life part because every time Carolina plays somebody whoever their opponent is has they have somebody who has the game of their life too. So definitely with you on that. I want to ask you about Francisco Lindor. He obviously signed a a massive contract at $341 million. How important was it for the Mets to lock him up? You know, we've got a couple other shortstops coming up here in free agency after this year with with Corey Seager from the Dodgers, Javi Baez from from the Cubs. How how important was it for the Mets to lock him up before some of – the other those teams uh, may come calling here in the offseason. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Lindor is a big name. It's had a lot of success in his early in his career. And I think the importance of locking him down was kind of twofold for the Mets. I mean, it's been such a huge offseason in terms of getting a new owner and like the Mets former owners, the Wilpons never spent any big money. It was always like picking off the scrap heap or the old guys or like we always had the all-star team from 10 years ago. 
And I just think that it was so important to set the tone of like the new era of Mets baseball and get this like big, like blockbuster signing because um, the reputation that the Mets have is not doing that. So um, I think for the fan base, it was really important. And then plus, like, I know that it seemed like the Mets kind of fleeced the the, uh, Cleveland Indians from this trade. But the reality of it is, is like, one of the players that we gave away, I was really sad to see him go. Andres Jimenez, he had a great season last year. And I was really looking forward to like watching him grow in the organization. And like when we when the trade happened, obviously the excitement behind Lindor and Carrasco was the primary feeling. But like once I looked at like what we had to give up, I was like, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a fair trade and this is great for us. But like that sucks that we had to let that guy go. So I think that and like he played shortstop, too. So it's like if you're going to give away a young, promising shortstop that could also grow to be a star, like you better sign Lindor long term, because if we end up just like bare at shortstop when we gave this young, great guy away, then that would be a disaster. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Whenever I saw whenever I, I see these uh, big contracts in the offseason, talking about Tatis and Lindor. I always think about somebody like Juan Soto, who's still on his rookie contract, hasn't gotten that that big deal yet, but but he very well could be. You know, I know Corey Seager's coming up here in the offseason. He's probably going to get a little bit over $340 million that Lindor got from the Dodgers. But just looking at Juan Soto, I mean, he could possibly be the first maybe $400 million player. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. The money just keeps going up. And, like, you think about, too, like, the owners. I mean, yes, like, they're paying out these salaries and they're, they've are they got a lot of money. But it's, like, eventually it's got to hit a cap, right? Like, they can't just keep going up forever. Like, the you can't eventually have a billion-dollar baseball player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it's important. I mean, I, mean, I think a, a lot of, the, like, people like Braves fans don't realize how big – of a bargain that they got and Alex Anthopoulos signed Acuna and Albies for. I mean, Acuna only signed for 10 years, $140 million. And and then Ozzy was, you know, seven years, 35 million. (laughs) And that's almost like highway robbery at this point. Oh yeah. And same thing with Jacob deGrom's contract. Like you see it, what like a guy like Trevor Bauer got after a short season Cy Young. And it's like, oh man, deGrom deserved a lot more than that. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And, and we're here with Caleb Pace from CBS Sports. And, and I know you, you're a lot, you cover the Jets a lot. You have Pace's Playbook. I would play like a Jet uh, YouTube channel. So I wanted to ask you about the Sam Darnold trade. That you were huge, huge into that. Had a lot of, had a lot of great comments on it that I watched whenever I was preparing for the show today. But, but there was a couple big winners uh, there with, with Sam Darnold and, and the Carolina Panthers. Especially with Joe Brady coming off that great year he had with LSU with Joe Burrow, he's had a season uh, in Charlotte to kind of get kind of get under himself in the NFL with Matt Rule. How how great of a situation is Sam Darnold walking into? Who can you kind of dig a little deeper on the biggest winners and losers from that trade? Yeah, so I think that Sam's in situation improves tenfold because he does not have like the negativity that the Jets fans have towards him in his like career anymore. Like he's going to move to Carolina. They might not be the most excited in the world. I know that a lot of people wanted to trade for Deshaun Watson or make some kind of big blockbuster move. But like, I think this is the right way to go with where the Panthers stand right now. I think that Matt rule should have been coaching Sam Darnold starting in 2019 when the Jets should have hired him initially. 
Um, I'm so glad that they all get to play together and like that Sam's reunited with Robbie Anderson. I mean, Robbie Anderson has caught 11 of Sam Darnold's 45 career passing touchdowns. That is the most. Jameson Crowder has 10. So I think that um, if you put that all together, like there's familiarity there. If you told Jets fans two years ago that Sam and Robbie and Matt Rule would all be a part of the same organization and it wasn't the Jets, I think all of our heads would have exploded. But I do think that there's some promise there. I think that, yes, of course, it's an experiment and there's a chance that it won't work out. But I see so many good things about Sam Darnold. He's like the perfect guy, I think, to make like the face of your organization. Like he's like just a good guy and totally unproblematic and just wants to go in there and work. Like there's going to be no outside distraction, no issue. And another thing too, that I was thinking is like with all the Deshaun Watson stuff, I know a lot of fans, like I saw on Twitter were hung up on that. Matt rule built his career and his reputation on the backs of like rebuilding off a sexual assault scandal. So like, I don't know why you'd invite one in the door and like, not to say that I think Deshaun is like automatically guilty or anything. Like obviously you got to go through that whole process and figure out what happened. But I don't know why you would try to attract that energy to your NFL job, like your first head coaching career or first head coaching job at the NFL when like you actively have tried to get away from that in the past. Um, So I think that um, it's going to be a good move for all involved. Like Sam is just going to be more comfortable with Robbie in the room. I think that the capacity of coaching from Adam Gase to Matt Rule and Joe Brady is literally just, I mean, I don't even have to say it. It's night and day. Like, it's just, uh, it's a huge difference. And it's going to be hugely beneficial to him if his career in the NFL is to pan out. Like, I wanted the Jets to trade Sam, but that doesn't mean I'm not a believer in him. I just think that he needed a fresh start somewhere else without, because, I mean, Jets fans are not the most forgiving bunch. People in New York are just a little bit aggressive. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can attest to that because I I went to New York in, in 2019, and and they're they're definitely a great like just from just from people watching around the place, like people getting on the subway or or going to a Yankees game or something like that. There's definitely a lot of a lot of they love sports in New York, and they're they are very a passionate a fan base. So I definitely understand why they wanted Sam Darnold out of there. But personally, I don't really think he was the majority of the problem. I know a lot of people think that. That congratulations, Zach Wilson. You're now a New York Jet. They're at number two in the NFL draft. But if if you don't have the the pieces around him, then I think a lot of people got hung up on, on Sam Darnold and and not and it makes you not realize that if you're just an outsider looking in, really a lot, the two things that you think about if you're if you're not a fan or if you're only watch the game a little bit is oh we, we want the all we care about is the coach and the quarterback. And, you know, a lot of people blame what happened in New York on Sam Darnold, but what do you, what do you see as the biggest uh, team needs for the jets and they could possibly try to address it uh, here in the draft and, and maybe some in free agency as well. Yeah. So I totally agree with what you said about like people like to put the blame on Sam and it's like, there's a lot more going on there than is a problem. And also I'm of the belief that if you didn't watch a ton of Jets football, you don't really get to have a strong opinion on Sam Darnold because I suffered through every single game and I can tell you more about him than someone who just like watched one bad play on SC, not top 10. So, um, or you just watch the seeing ghost game. Okay, fine. But um, so I think that the Jets obviously have the need a quarterback now. And I do think that second overall is going to probably be Zach Wilson. I don't know if he's my favorite choice at quarterback, um, but if that's what the Jets are going to do, then 
I'll get on board and root for him because that's what you do as a fan. Um, so I also think that I would really like to see JC Horn to the Jets. I mean, I'm sure like he had almost like too good of a pro day though. And like, he's just, he's looked too impressive. So I don't even think that he'll be there at 23 when the Jets pick. He would be my top choice though. I want to take a first round corner. I think corner is probably the weakest group on the defense right now. And I just like, I'm sick and tired of holding my breath every time there's a deep ball. I just, I would like them to finally address that need. It's been a little bit too long. And like, we have some guys that I do like, but I don't think we have a true, like, like uh, number one, I guess, to put on a number one receiver. Like I really like Bryce Hall, who we drafted late last year. I thought he did great and showed a lot of promise. I like Bless Austin, if he can stay healthy. Like I think he could be awesome. He was great at Rutgers before he got hurt. Um, And so like there's definitely a lot of promise in that group, but I'm not seeing anyone who can be like 100% reliable starting right now. So um, a top corner would be great. I mean, like I said, J.C. Horn is my top choice. It's not just the Carolina bias, I promise. I actually just really like him (laughs) as a player. I mean, I'd be cool with Israel Mukwamu too, but like Sertan and like there's there's a good group, I think, this year of like guys to choose a late first, early second type pick at corner. And I would definitely like to see them do that um, because it's pretty clear from our offseason signings, like Carl Lawson and like Rankins that we're going for the defense this year. And like, that's fine by me. I'm cool with it. And like, obviously we did sign Corey Davis, but they're trying to beef up the defense. They're trying to play like the 49ers and that's fine, but that means we have to go get a corner. Oh yeah. There's no doubt about that. And I, I'm with you on J.C. Horn. I mean, a lot of people are high on Patrick Sertain. They think he's number one, but I personally like J.C. Horn as the number one corner. And, you know, I took, we did our, our mock draft with Corey Seeley here a couple of weeks ago, and I took uh, J.C. Horn to the Cowboys at number 10. I know a lot of people may, may think that's a little bit high for him, but but I, I like him there. But then Patrick Sertain is a guy that could be available for the Jets. And also Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, since he got – uh, injured a little bit as as long as everything checks out with him he may be another guy that the Jets take at 23 but you mentioned beef, beefing up the defense I wanted to ask you about uh, Robert Sala the new head coach a lot of guys in the college a lot of teams in the college game as well as around the NFL they're they're looking for those offensive minded uh, coaches nowadays how do you how do you think Robert Sala fits into to the head coaching tree you know he's a, a big defensive line those guys some this they're the jury's still kind of out on those guys. Their results have been kind of split, but, but what do you like about Robert Sala and what he brings to the Jets? Yeah. Um, so I was kind of of the offensive minded head coach train myself, um, especially during the season last year, because just what I was watching week after week, I was like, somebody has to get in here and fix this immediately. Um, so I really wanted Arthur Smith. That was my top choice going into the offseason. I thought it would be like a little bit poetic to get him in there to fix Sam after he fixed Ryan Tannehill after the Adam Gase ordeal. So I was like, yeah, Arthur Smith is the guy to fix the broken Gase quarterback. Cool. Um, But then I kind of realized like at the end of the season, like I don't even think that they'll give Sam a shot here. Like I was like, if, if we bring in Arthur Smith, like I don't think he'll be working with Sam. And um, so as that kind of came to be, I was more just like interested in seeing who Joe Douglas wanted our GM because um, I, he came to the Jets on like such high recommendation from like the entire league. And he's supposed to be like this 
amazing guy who knows exactly what he's doing. So I was like, I'm kind of curious to see who he wants. And um, once Robert Sala was the first interview in there, I kind of started doing some, some looking at Sala and I was like, okay, like this, this works, like this makes complete sense. And then, you know, like I, I remember like, even like when they hired him, I was excited. And then I watched tuned into like the press conference and saw how just like, even keeled and like prepared and like head on straight he was. And I was like, Oh, okay. I I want this guy. Like he's, this is a good hire. And uh, the more that players started speaking up about how much they liked him, which obviously never happened with Adam Gase. No one's ever spoken up and been like, what great dude. (laughs) So uh, once that started coming up, I was like, okay. And then more in-depth articles and stuff. And I was pretty quickly sold on Sala. And uh, I think that, Joe Douglas and Sala seem to be very like in conjunction, like plan wise, which never I've, I haven't seen in like 10 years from the Jets. So I think it's finally like the feeling of, okay, the head coach and the GM are both competent. Like they both know what they're doing and um, it seems like more promising than ever. And it's just funny because like, I remember before last season, like, we were not ever high on Adam Gase in my house, but my dad was like, I think they could go 10 and six. And I was like, 10 and six. Okay. Whatever you say, dad. And then after the first game, he's like, we're going on 16. And I was like, yeah, exactly. That's more like it. it seems more appropriate. But this year I really do think like they can make a jump and just be like, I mean, with 17 games, they can't be at 500, but I think they can be in the neighborhood. Like, I think they can go, what is it? Seven, nine, eight, nine. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do think they can be like in the, in the, in that neighborhood of like improvement because, and like, I've talked about this too on Pace's playbook um, where like, I would love to model like after like the Cardinals where you get the new head coach in, you draft your quarterback, you go from like your three and 13 to five and 10 to nine and seven and like just work your way up progressively. And then you get to the point where people see the promise and you get JJ Watt wanting to sign with the Cardinals, you know, like it's, you want people to want to come play for your team because it looks like it's trending up. And I think this is the first step in that for the Jets. Finally. Well, the Jets are, are definitely uh, probably going to take the Arizona Cardinals route, and then they're going to they got their new head coach, and they're going to draft a quarterback, whether it's uh, you know Zach Wilson or or whoever. To, I know you you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but is he is Zach Wilson a lot at number two to the Jets? Do you think, or are they still looking at some guys like? I know a lot of people think the 49ers traded up to number three to snag Mac Jones, but there's Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and and you know. Zach Wilson, they're they're still out there. So are are they locked on Wilson or, or do you think they're still gonna take a look at Fields and Lance as well? It sure appears that they're locked on Wilson. Um I don't ever trust anything until the pick is in, honestly. Uh so like back when we picked Darnold, I really wanted Baker Mayfield. He was like my top choice. I was like, and it seemed like for weeks the articles were like Baker Mayfield locked the Jets. Like he's met with them so many times and this, this, and this. And then the morning of the draft, like it leaks that the Browns want to pick him at one. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. So I thought this whole time we're getting Baker Mayfield. Um, So I'm not going to make that mistake again and just hang my hat on Zach Wilson and be like, it's definitely him. I mean, I think it's most likely him, but uh, I think that they should be looking elsewhere. I think that this quarterback class is 
really, really deep. And um, I mean, of course, I don't think we're going to have 10 starting quarterbacks come out of this draft class. I think it's absurd when people say that it ends up being like two max every year. Um, But I think that they should be doing their due diligence. And I think that there's a good shot that this season is the kind of season where you get a Dak Prescott, Um, like someone who's a fourth rounder that was kind of overlooked, but has like good traits or whatever that whatever the hell it is that they look for for quarterbacks I can't keep my head straight with it um but I think that like somebody gets like a fourth rounder that ends up being a really good NFL starter and it's gonna be like oh how do we all overlook him and like who knows maybe the Jets will have the their like third straight bust I, I have no idea so we'll just see what happens of course I'm rooting for the Jets to pick the right one and I hope that they do but um I do think that it's worth looking deeper. Cause like take a guy like Jamie Newman. I mean, I really liked him at Wake Forest. I thought he was great. And then he opts out of one season at Georgia and suddenly he's no longer a top prospect and he's like eight on people's lists. And it's like, if you take Jamie Newman in the fourth round and he pans out, like we were talking about him two years ago, then what? Then like everyone just looks foolish for overlooking him. It's the recency bias. So I think that it's important to keep looking because otherwise you're going to miss on a guy who is, who should be at the top. Yeah. I'm definitely a, a big Jamie Newman fan as well. I mean, just, just being here in the Southeast, just, just watching Wake Forest uh, just, just about every week, just seeing him play. I mean, we just get caught up and you know, the, the, the Twitter verse, they get caught up in this recency bias and, and all that. But I want to shift to another, um, Another first-year head coach, and down here in South Carolina, that's Shane Beamer. I wanted to ask you if you have you been keeping up with with what's going on with spring practice or anything like that, and and what do you make of, of Shane Beamer's hiring and the staff that he's put together at South Carolina? All right, so I'll be totally honest. I just finished up with March Madness, so anything that's happened in the last couple of weeks, I have no idea what's going on. I'll be straight up. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend. That's one thing. I will not give a take on something that if I don't actually know what I'm talking about. So um, I have not gotten to watch anything really from spring practice. Um, after the Shane Beamer hire, uh, I do think that it was a good one. I was kind of shocked at the time. Um, but one thing that I do like is that I think in the SEC, like, Um, there's a lot of just like recycling the same guys over and over again. And I thought that Shane Beamer, despite maybe some of the more like experienced candidates that could have been out there is going to be a guy who actually brings something new and fresh and maybe like an innovative idea or two. And cause like, I mean, it's the sec is pretty routine right now. It's pretty much the same teams on top every year. Like the LSU run was really fun and exciting and like, I really liked watching that, like the whole like Joe Burrow explosion. And like, that was so fun because I felt like it was finally a year that wasn't the exact same thing. Um, And so I do think that it needs to be shaken up a little bit. And like, it just goes to show, I mean, like Will Muschamp already got a job at Georgia. Like they're literally just recycling the same dudes over and over again. So I do like to see that Shane Beamer is like coming to Columbia, not having head coaching experience. He's been in Columbia before and has relationships, but he's not going to do the exact same thing as everybody else. And that's what I'm the most excited about. I think it'll be a learning curve and I don't think the Gamecocks can expect to be good for a season or two. But especially, I mean, obviously everyone hits the transfer portal when a new coach comes in. Like there was a good amount of guys that did, but there was also a good amount of guys that stayed and some of like the more highly rated recruits stayed. So I'm okay with that. And I don't want anyone 
like my biggest thing is I don't want anyone who doesn't want to play for my team. Like if I'm a fan and as a fan of somebody who like a fan of teams who are usually pretty bad, like most of my teams usually lose. I don't want someone signing with the jets because they get the biggest contract ever. And like we're begged and I don't want someone coming to South Carolina because Oh, uh, what's well, the only offer I got? Like, I want somebody who's there because they really want to play for that team. And like, I think that's like the most crucial thing because you can't expect people who are like, eh, whatever, like, I guess I'll go to be the people that lead you to winning. Like that just doesn't, doesn't add up. So I do hope that um, Beamer has that kind of culture. Cause I don't know if Muschamp did. And I, I won't roast Muschamp too much, but I don't think that he brought in guys that wanted to win games at South Carolina. I think he brought in guys that wanted to play in the NFL and make a highlight tape. Oh yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with you on that with every, with everything that you said. And, and you touched on March Madness. I wanted to ask you about what you thought of the championship game on Monday night. Were you, were you somebody that, that loved Gonzaga going in or, or did you like the field, maybe Baylor or some team like that? So I knew that this year would be crazy because, I mean, even the top teams besides Gonzaga all had losses. So it's like there was no, like, uh, one loss team that I thought was going to just destroy everybody. And, like, I thought there'd be a ton of upsets because, like, even in the Big Ten, like, upsets every other night in the regular season, you kind of had to figure that you could expect some upsets from them in the tournament. They're just not consistent enough. Um, So I thought it was going to be crazy. My bracket was nowhere near close, but whose was, honestly. Um, I did have Gonzaga winning it all in mine. I was hoping that they would, honestly. And it's because they beat South Carolina in 2017 in the Final Four. Because they didn't go on to win. I was pissed. I thought we could have won that game. So I was just like, you know what? Just, like, get your national championship. Get it over with because you stole ours. So um, I think that... It was disappointing, especially like, I mean, the national championship game, you want it to be exciting. And like that game really was just from the get go was not like the greatest game ever or anything like I mean, the final four game was a lot more exciting. But I mean, you work all season for this national championship game. I've been like doing late nights in the studio and everything. I wish it was closer, but I mean, I think the best team won. And that's really what you're aiming for in this kind of situation. Like who can who can persevere, who can get through to the end and be the best team at the end. And like the grind is part of it. The grind through March is part of it. You can't be perfect all season and fall flat in the last moment. So I think that the tournament worked. We got, we got the best team as the winner. And um, there were some good games along the way and some things that were memorable and fun to watch. And that's really what the goal of the whole thing is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And and we got the the matchup that we wanted, Gonzaga and Baylor, and and we were, you know, deprived of it during the regular season because of COVID. But you know, a lot I think a lot of people a lot of people slept on Baylor because they had the they had the COVID pause there towards the end of the year and then they came out and finished two and two down the stretch. They didn't play their best basketball at the end of the year, but boy did they they sure play it in those six games in the tournament. But the last thing I got for you, and this is actually a new segment that we're that we're starting. Uh, with you and this episode will be released be released on Friday. It's the idea that I got that I got from a, a couple of guys that I used to work for with uh, Carolina Athletics, but they call it Fried Chicken Fridays. And I know you you've been a lot of you've been in the South for for a while. You've also been up north. What are some of the the fried chicken places that you like? Uh, just anywhere that you've been. Oh, geez. Okay, put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> so. I am 
Um, I am a little bit spoiled in the fried chicken department because since I was a little kid, that's been my grandma's specialty. My grandma is from um, like Southern Virginia and uh, lives over by like Virginia Beach, Newport News, Norfolk area. Um, and she would literally drive up to New Jersey and spend two days making fried chicken in my house. And we would eat that fried chicken. So like the whole going out to get like fast food fried chicken was like never really a thing for me because I was like, why would I eat that when I could eat this? Um, so grandma's fried chicken is number one. Um, I do love Bojangles. Um, I, every time I fly somewhere, I try to get a layover in the Charlotte airport so I can eat at Bojangles. Um, that's probably like not the most like fancy answer, I guess. Um, and then I also go to Palmetto Pig in Columbia because that spot has always been like a favorite. And then they opened up like Columbia Craft Brewing. And so it's like, you can literally just like bounce from Palmetto Pig to Columbia Craft and you're full of fried chicken and beer. Hey, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, <laughs> there, there's no telling how many times I ate at Palmetto Pig when I was in Columbia, but there's so, <laughs> there's so many, it's just so good. And it's, it's at a, a reasonable price for a buffet too, which made it even more appealing to a college student. But but I'm I'm also with you on grandma's cooking because yeah. <laughs> my, grandma, my grandma's a really great cook. I joke with my mom all the time. Oh, she's a lot better cook than you are, you know. Like, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on today, Kayla. And they we got it got it scheduled here and and got you on and so appreciate that. And tell everybody where they can find you on social media to to give you a follow. And the the floor is open to you. Anything else you want to plug as well? Yeah. Um, so of course, always love talking to another Gamecock grad. Go Cox. Hopefully we do well this season and everything, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> just like a little bit better. I don't know. But um, so my Twitter is at KP underscore on TV or KP underscore on underscore TV. I'm sorry. It's a lot. Um, yeah. And then I also do Pace's playbook. It's like a segment when I do on YouTube it's like two to five minute videos on the jets and like just recent things that are happening kind of my take on what's going on that's on playlikeajet.com and on YouTube at playlikeajet and then there also might be something new coming so stay tuned to my Twitter uh we got a big project in the works that I'm very excited about so um yeah I can't wait to get started it should be dropping in the next couple weeks so awesome well check out playlikeajet.com if you are a Jets fan and if you're not if you want to know what's going on with the Jets make sure to check out Kayla and and all her work as well and thanks so much to her for coming on and and thanks to you for out there for listening make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube Apple Podcasts and Spotify it's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays God bless everybody